I'm going to share some thoughts with you. And I'm calling this little mini-series or potential series, I'm calling it The Good Fight. Um, and let me read a couple of scriptures that I'm basing this series out of, and then uh, I'm going to share some more in-depth thoughts with you. First um, Timothy chapter 6, verse number 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter uh, to uh, young Timothy, who was a pastor at a church in Ephesus. So this is the pastor of the Ephesian church, which the Apostle Paul actually started. He's writing the first of two letters to young Timothy. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6, 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. We're going to talk about the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Again, this is written by the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus. Uh, but this time, Paul says something a step further. Listen to what he says. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he starts out telling young Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And then he follows up by saying, I have fought the good fight of faith. Now he's not rubbing in anything uh, to young Timothy's mindset saying, I'm doing something that you haven't done. He's simply stating a reality that he knows his days are numbered, that he has finished the purposes for which God's called him to. And most scholars believe that he died shortly thereafter writing this letter to Timothy. Let me pray for us, and then I want to share some thoughts with you. Father God, thank you for uh, the good fight of the faith that you've called us to fight. Thank you, Father, for an opportunity to, um, to endure hardship, to uh, endure struggle. Thank you for the opportunity, Father, to embrace the opportunities that you've put in front of us. And thank you for the faith that you've given us that's worth fighting for. And I pray today that you would encourage our hearts, that you would challenge us and push us forward. In Christ's name, amen. You ever notice that things in life worth having or worth accomplishing always come with a fight? For the most part, things in life that are worth having or that you accomplish, they don't come easy. There's some type of fight, there's some type of struggle involved in accomplishing great things. Every athlete that's accomplished something great, accomplished something great, not on the day of the event, but on the weeks and years leading up to that event. They put in lots of hard work. Every business deal that's gone right is a reflection of years of practices in business that led to a point by which there was a reward at the end. There is for all of us seasons of life by which we go through struggles, but there's always opportunities following those seasons of life for us to reap rewards or to accomplish things or to finish the races that are set before us. If you've ever set out on a project to accomplish something, you know that starting a project is simple for a lot of us. Enduring the project, that's where the difficulty comes from. And then when we finish the project, there's this sense of accomplishment, there's this reward, whether it's simply pride or whether it's financial or whether it's recognition, it makes the suffering, the enduring, the hardship, the struggle worth it when we get to reap the benefits of all that energy and effort that we've been 
put into. Now, let me give you a not-so-great example, but just to get us on the same page. If you have young kids, you know that putting kids to bed can be a fight. can be a fight. At least in my household, putting kids to bed can be a fight. If putting kids to bed when they're between the ages of zero and eight is simple for you, then I would love for you to come and just teach my kids the art of going to bed because they love to put up a fight. They love to put up a struggle. They love to elongate the process and try to come up with every excuse under the sun by which they don't need to go to bed in that moment and drag things out just so they can get a few extra minutes of time before they actually go to bed. So this last week, or actually the week before, my wife uh, was going to be gone for the evening, and so I had all three kids to myself, and um, I knew all day that I was going to have to put all three kids to bed by myself, an almost one-year-old, a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and there was part of me that was not looking forward to the process. But remember we talked about last week, these are the days, right? And so I was trying to embrace that reality that this is the season of life that we're in. And so at supper time, I'm kind of giving verbal cues to my two oldest boys, a six-year-old and three-year-old. Now, when, when it comes time to go to bed, I'm just telling you tonight, you're going to go to bed. We're not putting up with anything tonight. It's, it's going to be, it's going to happen, right? And so we ate dinner, and uh, a little girl who's almost one, like, she has to have a bath, and then she has to have a bottle, and the pajamas, and the whole nine yards. Like, she can't do any of that herself, so I was having to do all of that. And so I'm giving my two sons cues. You're going to go to the shower. You're going to get in the bath. I'm going to put sister to sleep. I don't want to hear a word from you. Because she doesn't like any noise. It's got to be quiet for her. I don't want to hear a word. And after I put her to bed, when I come out, you better have finished your bath time. You better have put your pajamas on. You better be on this couch watching this movie that I'm putting on right now. You see this? You see? You understand what I'm expecting from you. And I just knew that when I came out, they were going to be in the backyard rolling in the dirt or something. But somehow, by the grace of God, I walked out, and my oldest son, Landon, was on the couch with his pajamas on. My youngest son, Cohen, was on the couch with a towel wrapped around him. He didn't have pajamas on, but he was there watching, uh, kicking it, actually. It wasn't a movie. It was a, uh, I think it was a Nickelodeon show. They love to watch kicking it. And I felt like, there's hope. Like, we, we can do this. Like, I've got her down, and she's not crying, and now all I've got to do is get them into bed, say their prayers, cut the lights out, lock the door. Any of you parents ever do that? We turn the knobs around, we lock them in. It works. And by 7.30, all three kids were asleep. I turned kicking it off, and I just looked in the mirror, and I was like, you have got it together. <laughs> You have got this. And I felt just on top of the world, right? And so Lindsay comes home later that night, and I was just like, she's going to be so impressed. She's going to be like, how did you do it? Teach me of your greatness. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, I pretty much do that every night. Like, now you know what it takes, and maybe you'll help a little more than you actually do. So it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But you know that feeling like when you accomplish something, you did something, like it worked the way you wanted it to, and there was a fight, there was a struggle, there was a lot of work that went into it, and you felt accomplished. I don't, I don't care if it's yard work, you got a project out in the yard that you complete, I don't care if it's uh, remodeling a home, I don't, I don't care if it's a long-term goal. Whenever you complete something, you look back over the days, weeks, months, years of struggles that it took to get to that moment, and you just feel this sense of, 
was worth it. Like, I accomplished something great. Now, I want to start with the good fight of faith, and I want to start with the end and look at Paul's statement in 2 Timothy where he says, I have fought the good fight. And we're going to come back next week, and we're talking about what it looks like to fight the good fight. But I want us to look at the end first, because how many of you know, some of us, we just need some motivation. We don't need to know how to fight. We just need to know that at the end of this fight, there's like... There's a reward coming, and it's worth the fight. Some of us just need that so that we will continue to fight in the faith. So let me read for you 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to read uh, the first eight verses to you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay, so Paul is giving young Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus, he's leading the Ephesians in the gospel charge, he's giving him these instructions in sight of God who's going to judge us all. Verse 2, preach the word. That should be the lifeblood of every church. We should teach God's scriptures. We should teach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Listen to this. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Use the word of God as you leave the Ephesians to correct them, to rebuke them, and to encourage them with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's this consumeristic culture, it's not just here in America. It was the same in, in Ephesus. People wanted you to tell them things that made them feel good. Teach the word, but just teach us the parts that make us feel good. The whole correcting, the whole rebuking, like we don't really care for that. Don't tell us the things we're doing wrong. Tell us the things we're doing right. And so there were people who were not enduring sound doctrine. They were simply wanting people uh, to, to tell them things they wanted to hear. They had itching ears. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's going to be very difficult, young Timothy, as you pastor these Ephesians. They're going to want you just to tell them what they want to hear. They're not going to embrace true doctrine. When you try to teach them the things of Scripture, they're going to have a hard time accepting it. They're going to resist it. You're going to have to endure hardship. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. You're going to have to keep at it. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to stay steadfast in your approach with these people. And then he gets to verse 6, and he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. The Apostle Paul who went on missionary journey after missionary journey and started churches. This was a man who was one of the greatest apostles in Scripture that wrote half of the New Testament. This was a man who left perhaps the greatest legacy of the faith throughout the New Testament. And he's saying to Timothy in this letter, my time for departure has come. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Like I'm passing the baton. This, my time is over. And you can imagine reading this like, what is he saying specifically? And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I have endured incredible suffering along with all the benefits of carrying the gospel to my world. My time is coming to an end, but there is a reward. There is a crown of righteousness which I'm about to receive. There is no scripture in our Holy Bible that describes the death of the Apostle Paul, but Christian tradition has it that he was beheaded by the Romans. That he was martyred for the sake of the gospel. And this was likely written while he was in prison for the second time in Rome. Because he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't crucified like Peter, the disciple of Christ, who many believe was killed about the same time as the Apostle Paul. There were fires that scorched the city of Rome, and Nero blamed the Christians, the church, for the fires, and he found the leaders and he killed them. Church history would lend us to believe that Peter was crucified, and he refused to be crucified like his Lord Jesus, so they cru- he asked to be crucified upside down. But the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, so he could not receive the punishment of crucifixion, so they beheaded him. And he knew He just knew that his time was coming to an end. And he was looking back over all of the things that led him to that moment. He's giving this charge to young Timothy. In light of everything that he had endured, he was saying to him, hold fast, fight the good fight. There is ahead of you a crown. I can taste the goodness of what's to come at the end of my time, and it's worth it. Those were some of his last words to this young pastor. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. It's going to be hard, but you won't regret it. Stay fast. Stay true to the gospel. Live in such a way that you don't regret your lifestyle so that at the end of your time, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, eternity is before you and is your reward. But Here's the difficult thing for Timothy, who likely was discouraged on some level. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the days that he was living in in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing, have nothing to do with them. Young Timothy, the days that you're in, the last days are filled with terrible days. And people in the world that you live in, does it sound familiar? They're very selfish. They live for themselves. They only want you to tell them things that make them feel good. And he had this charge to lead people who didn't necessarily want to be led in the truth, but wanted to be led in such a way that made them feel better about themselves. Do you see the hardship that he carried? And the Apostle Paul is saying, it is so, it is so worth it. 
Here's what I think we have a tendency to lean towards when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the church. I don't think it's much different, although times have changed, obviously, from the church in Ephesus. But I think that we're living in such a day where Christians want to receive participation trophies. Would you think about it? I think we're living in a day in which Christians want to receive participation trophies. And the day that we're living in now, if a kid is on the team, usually up until about 12 years old, for being on the team, they receive a ribbon or a trophy. I'm giving you a reward because you participated. Okay? And it's a feel-good thing, and I've struggled with how to push against that system because for my kids, I want them to understand that in life, accomplishing something means more than just participating in something. And so I don't want to be like the pastor in town that's making a big scene, right? But I want to be able to teach my kids the truth. I saw a a video from a former, former NFL star whose kids are now participating in sports and he went to his daughter's field day uh, maybe you saw this video on uh, online this week he went to his daughter's field day and and his daughter ran in a race and his daughter came in I think he said sixth place and they gave her a, a ribbon for participating in the race and she came over to her dad and she was like hey dad I got a ribbon and he was like why did you get a ribbon and she was like because I ran the race and so he took her to Uh, the teachers that were performing field day, and he asked her to give the ribbon back. And then he explained to his daughter, you only get a ribbon. My daughter only gets a ribbon if she finishes first, second, or third. And he looked his daughter in the eye, and he said, if you want to get a ribbon, you got to run in such a way to beat everybody. you got to finish in the top three. And he said, you know what happened at that next race? My daughter finished second. She didn't just run, she ran to win. She ran differently because she knew that she had to accomplish something in order to get a reward. And I got to thinking about the church, the days that we live in, that it's easy for us at times to run our race in such a way just to say, hey, I was there, I participated. I wasn't really motivated to do much, but I showed up, and that should be enough, right? Right? And the Apostle Paul is saying to young Timothy, that's what you're dealing with. That's the people you're trying to lead. And he's saying it's going to be difficult to help them understand the importance of running their race, fighting the fight of faith in such a way to win a prize. And so you think about everything that you've accomplished in life and you look back and and it wasn't simply participation that helped you accomplish something. It was hard work. It was dedication. It was commitment. It was something worth fighting for that caused you to reap a reward. When you watch the Olympics this summer, if Brazil still has the Olympics, I don't know what's going to happen. They've got some drama going on down there in Brazil. But if they still host the Olympics, if the Olympics still happen, after the end of events, they're going to have medal ceremonies. And you're going to see people stand on podiums, and they're going to be given medals. It's going to be gold medals and silver medals and bronze medals. And in that moment, what you're looking at isn't someone that just ran a race, just swam in a meet, not someone who just performed in an event, but you're looking at someone who for the last four years has been specifically training for that event that they just won a prize for. The reflection of the medal around their neck isn't indicative of an event well run. It's indicative of a lifestyle that led to that very moment in their life. They trained for that. They ate properly for that. They worked out specifically for that. Everything about their life was geared towards 
preparing for that moment. And when they stand there with the medal around their neck, they're going to say, it was worth eating that garbage so that I could be here. It was worth enduring the training so that I could be here. Those four years of my life, I'll never get back. And they were the most difficult years of my life. But it was worth it because I have accomplished something. And for the believer, at the end of a life of faith, a faith worth fighting for, if we fight the good faith, the good fight of faith, there is a reward waiting for us. And it's not just that we don't have to go to hell and we get to go to heaven. There's a crown of righteousness that we're going to see that all of the years of serving the Lord, everything that we poured into, all of the generous moments, all the moments of service, every time that we felt like doing something and we decided not to do it and we embraced a life of discipline and we reached out to other people in that moment, like Paul, we're going to realize this was so worth the effort and the sacrifice and the endurance for this moment that I'm living in. Now, high school graduation is coming up this Thursday here in, uh, at least for Wanderbara High School, and um, we've actually got several graduates here with us this morning that uh, are going to be getting their high school diplomas, and we're extremely proud of them. Um, and, and I want them actually to come on the stage right now and help me illustrate for you um, the importance of what we're talking about today. So if I could have Kristen Baxter and Nick Finley and Hannah Doolittle come on up on the stage. Yeah, y'all come on up. Let's give them a hand. These guys are graduating from high school. You guys look fantastic. Let's have a seat right here. It doesn't matter if you dress for it. This is synergy, right? Right? There's no dressing for anything here. Okay, now, what we're looking at is 12 years of hard work here to graduate high school, four years specifically in high school, and three accomplished graduates that we're extremely proud of here at Synergy. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to start with. We'll start with Kristen because she's here in front of me. So I'm going to hand you that. And before you say anything, let me just read. Um, I was told, Kristen, um, that, that you're an honor graduate. I am. Uh, I was told that you received uh, merit for National Honor Society. I was actually also told that you received a $64,000 GI Bill uh, to go into the services. So here's what I want to ask you. Congratulations on those things. Um, what are your plans after high school? How close? That's perfect right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, after high school, I plan to go into the Army. Um, I've already enlisted, so I ship out to basic in August, so I get my summer. After that, um, I'll do my military training and then do college while I'm serving for them, so... To become a physical therapist, hopefully. So that'd be awesome. Yay. Is that cool? Is that awesome? Yay. All right, now, Nick, let's see here. Uh, I've been told, Nick, that you received uh, ACT honor, uh, mentioned um, Beta Club. You're an honor graduate, National Honor Society. Is that, is that correct? That you are, are an accomplished young man graduating high school. Um, in the prime of your life, you've worked hard for this moment, and uh, you've exempted the rest of this week. You don't have to go to school this week. Um, yeah. Tell us, Nick, what are your plans after high school? Um, I'm going to go to the University of Georgia to probably major in mathematics. Um, I'll be in the Red Coat Marching Band for hopefully four years, and yeah. 
I don't know what I want to do with that degree yet. It yeah. doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't matter what you do with the degree. Like, you just get a degree and you'll figure that out yeah, later. I'll figure that out later. Yeah, you should probably figure it out, actually. But hey, <laughs> we're going to pray with you. We're going to make that happen. Right. Um, very cool. Go, dogs. Very cool. Nick. And then we've got, we've got Hannah, Hannah Doolittle. And um, Hannah, I'm told that you received ACT honors, um, Beta Club, you're an honor graduate, National Honor Society, and Spanish Honor Society, um, and yearbook staff. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. That's incredible. Hannah, would you tell us what your plans are in the um, days, weeks, and months following your graduation? I will be attending the University of Georgia to probably major in journalism. Um, hopefully I'll join the, the, their newspaper staff there, the Red and Black, um, and hopefully get a job as a journalist writing for a magazine or a newspaper one day. So. That's awesome. Is that cool? So we're looking at three of Winder Barrow High School's finest. A double G for life, apparently. Congratulations. Um, here's a question. Hannah, you got the mic. Was it easy? Was graduating no. easy? No. What was the most difficult part? Oh, I don't, just like, yeah, calculus, probably. Calculus? Yeah, no, just all of the, to get into UGA, like all of the stuff that I had to prepare for beforehand, like freshman year, I was thinking, I've got to take all of these honors classes, I've got to take all of these AP classes, um, and so just the amount of work that went into getting here was ridiculous. Wow. But it's about to get worse. Are so. you, but are you glad you did it, though? Yeah, yeah. Will you hand the microphone to Nick? Nick, what for you? What What was the most difficult part of high school? Um, finding, I guess, maybe the world care in the senior year. <laughs> Say that again? Senioritis could have hit me pretty Senioritis hard. Senioritis hit you? It could have hit me, a day but I, had to, I, I pushed it away. Senioritis. Um, yeah. Did you make it? Did you make it through? Obviously, I, you I did. Are you glad you fought it. through senioritis? Yeah, I, I made it through. Awesome. And Kristen, yeah. for you, what was the most difficult? Um, they already said most of it. I mean, like, my most difficult part was going to school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey. I, I don't. She and I, we got a lot. To, we're in common right there. I think I, I, think I miss a lot of school. Like I actually have to show up. That's not. Yeah. Not uh, I mean, thing. the amount, like Hannah said, the amount of work that we had to do to get to this point. I mean, I'm not going into college, so <laughs> until afterwards. You I will mean, one day. So. I, mean, I guess all the work I did was, woo, go army. Uh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> now here's 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 uh let's take it a step further. Um, because I'm really proud of these students for, they worked hard, they're graduating high school, it's a monumental accomplishment in anyone's life, and we're extremely proud of them, but there's something special about these three that some of you may not know, especially if you're newer uh, to Synergy, but um, all three of these students have been instrumental um, in Synergy Church being what it is today, Okay. Let's just start with today. All three of them showed up early and helped set up what you see in some capacity or another, whether it's a children's environment, uh, whether it's here in the auditorium. Um, these high school seniors that are about to graduate uh, got out of bed early to come and help set up a portable church. Um, and they all, for the most part, have been with us from the very beginning. Let me give you a little bit of history here. Um, I'm not going to put a picture up there. I know that's what you're looking for. Uh, 
Hannah was one of the original 10 founding partners of Synergy Church. When we met at the Chamber of Commerce offices back in 2011, trying to decide specifically when we were going to launch our church, Hannah was sitting at the table, and Hannah's voice mattered. And the display that this eight, eighth grader at the time showed in that meeting was inspiring to everybody around the table. From the very beginning. We met at a place called Jungle Jumpers. And our first big day at Jungle Jumpers was a Christmas worship experience. It was December the 23rd of 2011. You remember that? And Kristen actually showed up with Hannah then. Now, we launched our church on January the 22nd of 2012, almost a month later. And Kristen, was it the launch Sunday that you got baptized? Mm -hmm. On January 22nd, 2012. From the very beginning, they've been a part of Synergy Church. Listen, high schoolers can name a lot of accomplishments. There are very few that can say, I planted a church. And it was only like, what, three or four months later that Nick walked through the doors for the first time. And, and we just fell in love with Nick, and he just, he just wouldn't go away. And we were glad for that. <laughs> we were extremely excited. And he started showing up early and helping do stuff. And these three teenagers, in the prime of their life, when they could be doing anything that they wanted to do in life on Sunday mornings, faithfully have shown up here at this gym and helped set up for us to be able to have church, have served faithfully in children's environments, on production teams, on our road crew, have done above and beyond what is necessary to help serve for the kingdom of God. And I'm proud of you, like, because you're graduating high school. Like, that's a good accomplishment. But I'm most proud of you because you have fought the good fight of faith in this season of your life to lead people, to know Jesus, to serve him faithfully and committed. And that, in my book, far outweighs any diploma that you're going to receive on Thursday evening. So here's what I'm going to do before we end our time together. is I'm Actually, I want to pray a prayer over you. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples in John chapter 17. I'm actually going to read uh, a portion of that over you. So I want to pray for you. Um, and then uh, I want to say one other thing. It's John chapter 17, starting in verse number 15. Let's pray together. The words of Jesus to his, over his disciples. My prayer, Lord, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And Father, we're looking at a group of teenagers that have given their life to serve you here in the local church. And my prayer, Father, is that as they enter this next season of their life and they close this chapter, some of which won't be able to be here as, as often as they have, some not at all, I pray, Father, that they would 
look back over these years and see these as fruitful years and say it was worth it because, Lord, you're going to pour out favor on them and blessings on them. I pray that you open doors for them. I pray that you would guide their steps. I pray that your spirit goes before them. I pray that you protect them along this journey of life. I pray that you open their eyes to see the path that you've laid out for them. And I pray that they would walk in the destiny that you've created them for. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And just as a... uh, Just a really, I guess, a small token of just saying we want to invest in your life from this day moving forward. We've got a small gift. It's a small monetary gift for you, of whether you've got, um, I don't know, computers that you need to put that towards or iPads or clothes or gas money or food. I don't know what your future is going to look like. But we just pray that that will be a small blessing. But please know that we are behind you, supporting you as you go into the next chapter. And please hear us say you have fought the good fight, and we're proud of you. Awesome. Get off the stage. You guys really are awesome. You're awesome. So here's the thing, like, this journey that we're on, this this faith that we're living out, this, this life of following Jesus, it's never promised to be easy. But the promise for us all is that the struggle is worth it. And just like graduating high school or just like helping start a church, just like moving on to the next chapters of your life, there will come a time in our lives where we'll stand before a holy judge for the creator of the universe and we'll look back over our life. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we'll be proud of the fight for the good fight of faith that we endured, that we ran in such a way to win a prize, that we didn't just try to participate, but we tried to do our very best for the kingdom of God. And the reward that awaits us is worth it all. Let me pray for all of you. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for this journey of faith that you have called us to. And I just ask you, Jesus, in this moment to draw our hearts towards the truth that on the other side of every struggle that we'll ever endure for the sake of the gospel is a reward that we'll stand before you one day and reap a reward in the life to come that we may have never experienced in this life but I pray Lord Jesus that we would live in such a way that we would be proud of the good fight that we fought in Jesus name